gentlemen, I hate to disturb you enjoying your dessert, but I thought the lunch was excellent. And I want to bring you back to today's subject matter, which is pesticides in agriculture, past, present, and future. And the speaker was Dr. Claudia Sheedy from our research station on the east end of town. And I'd like to remind you, next week's topic is um, learning issues facing Lethbridge from an MLA's perspective. And the speaker is Greg Whittaker. So, I ask now for people to come up and ask their excellent questions as usual. The microphones are available for that purpose. Please state your name and keep your question to a minimum in length so that Dr. Claudia Sheedy can inform us in response to these questions. So, Dr. Sheedy, would you like to please come up and uh, weather the storm? Good afternoon, Hi. I'm Ira Diamond, and uh, I thank you for your presentation. It's always interesting to see different perspectives looked at. I, I see that Sorry. tested several kinds of water, drinking water, children's water, river water. What about tap water? Do we still have two for the year, not tap water? Tap water? Tap water, I'm uh, well, actually, because I, I do agricultural work, I don't test tap water, so I, I, I can't uh, answer your question. Hi, thank you for your presentation. <laughs> this is a live mic, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my name is Frances Schultz, and uh, I've part of what the previous uh, Questioner asked is what I wanted you to elaborate on. I was very interested in that line of 50 to 80 percent of samples contain pesticides. And I think two significant features of that are number one, what all kinds of things were tested, whether wells were tested as well, but also what kind of residues were found. How many days do you have? <laughs> um, well, what Evan Anderson did in that report is actually a compilation of uh, all of the studies done by Alberta Environment over 10 years, so from 1995 to 2005. So I do believe um, that in that study they did look, um, so it, it was a bunch of different studies. So not every study looked at the same number of compounds, uh, the same compounds uh, and the same type of water. But I believe as part of that uh, report, there was definitely irrigation water. There was uh, rivers, streams, so surface water. Um, I do not recall wetlands in that report. Um, there was also, uh, I believe, groundwater. Yeah. And um, they looked actually, uh, some of the studies looked at over 30 chemicals. Uh, including 240, most of the obscenic herbicides, so 240, dicamba, and CPA. Uh, these are herbicides, are, uh, 
the most uh, frequently detected pesticides in, uh, in Alberta. Uh, and they tested for glyphosate as well. And they had a fairly high percentage of, uh, of uh, glyphosate findings in that study. I believe it was uh, something like 30%. Yeah. So I, if, don't quote me on this, but uh, if I remember correctly, they tested for about 35 chemicals and 22 of which were detected uh, but at various uh, detection frequencies. So most of them were actually detected in maybe one sample out of 2,000, but uh, 2,4-D was, depending on the water matrix again, anywhere from 50 to 80%. Does that answer your question? Thank you for your enlightening presentation, Claudia. I'm wondering a little bit about, uh, you mentioned DDT, which, uh, which is now being used uh, some places in the world to control mosquitoes, uh, okay, malaria. Uh, related to that, how was DDT uh, ever, how was it ever uh, being used and when we know it's, uh, it has, so I'm, I'm related to this precautionary principles in developing uh, pesticides. Do you have any sense of what kind of regime those kind of pesticides go through before they approve? Because obviously DDT didn't pass the test down the road. Uh, that's a good question, but no, that's definitely not uh, an expertise I have. I can't really answer. But um, obviously, I think when DDT was developed, uh, the um, regulations were uh, probably much lesser than they are now. And uh, that's, that's another reason why so many pesticides were developed in that period. And nowadays, over the last 20 years, very few have come new pesticides or new modes of action have come to the market. Um, but I don't know at the time what they use for, in, in terms of developing that pesticide. My name is Cheryl Bradley, and I appreciate your sort of a good, concise summary of uh, the key uh, costs and benefits that we need to weigh around pesticide approvals and use and regulation. And I must admit that my faith in the national system of regulation of pesticides was shaken just a few weeks ago when. Uh, I believe EcoJustice uh, brought a legal challenge um, to the federal government for continuing to allow use of pesticides in agriculture as well as in urban areas that had been banned in other countries. And apparently our regulations say that if a pesticide is banned in another country, we should not be using it either. So I'm assuming um, now that the case has been, the challenge has been won, that our federal government needs to reevaluate the use of pesticides. And I'm wondering what insights you can give us as far as how much of our own science in this country we use to address those questions. Do we rely solely on information that's 
been obtained elsewhere. Um, I guess I'm a little concerned too. My senses went up when I heard that Close's introduction that you're one of very few scientists in the country that has knowledge of pesticides. Are we just sort of passing the buck and relying on others to do these assessments for us? Well, I think a person from the government would probably be the better uh, person to answer your question, uh, meaning someone in Ottawa. But uh, with regards to regulation, my understanding is that uh, every country has uh, different regulations. And uh, I think, for example, in the case of neonicotinoids, there's a three-year uh, ban, I think, uh, all over the European Union for these pesticides. And uh, that ban did not happen here. Um, and I think equal justice, uh, from what I can remember, they, uh, they cut, they, uh, they, they looked at, uh, there's about, there's over 50 pesticides, it's closer to 100, I believe, that will be um, kind of uh, looked at, at as part of that, uh, that appeal. But I don't, uh, I don't have really insight as uh, actually the, the pesticide regulations are mainly uh, made with Health Canada, and uh, and uh, so I'm. It's not my department, and I'm not really uh, involved in that process. Yeah. In terms of uh, number of scientists, uh, some are retiring, uh, but eight years ago they hired me. So I I'm hopeful that we're going to be many more in the years to come. There's a lot of work to do, obviously, uh, in trace residue analysis and. Uh, I sure hope I'm going to have a, a lot of friends to, to work with. Um, I'm Trevor Page, and I was pleased to see your conclusions in your last but one slide on the world's increasing population, reducing arable land, yet the need to um, produce more food with less mm -hmm. less pesticides, fertilizer, etc., etc. Is there any work being done on organic pesticides and um, herbicides? Um, and if so, could you tell us about that? Uh, I think uh, we have some really good uh, people in the room, actually, that are uh, IPM specialists. So that look at pesticides, non-chemical options for, for pest control. Uh, I think we have Dr. Rose declared float, among other that uh, can speak to that, and of course, Mark Gettle. Uh, but uh, I can't remember the first part of your question. I just remember the- No, I was just applauding you on your conclusion, putting things into perspective that the world has a, a very large problem in front of them in terms of producing more, more food for the mounting populations. And given the constraints that you you've described, my question dealt with non-toxic, non-chemical pesticides, any work on that? Uh, I'm sure there is work on that. Uh, we have people at the research st uh, station that do work on biological control, for example, um, but uh, that's definitely not my expertise. Okay. But we do have people working on that and they do excellent work. Okay, thank you. Lauren Fitch, thank you for that enlightening presentation. And, and particularly, you created a, a spark in my mind when you pointed out Rachel Carson's book and her work was really instrumental in bringing to bear some scrutiny on the unregulated use of, of 
pesticides. And I, I would question whether or not they are truly regulated today, but I'm, I'm wondering another aspect of regulation is, are we, are we tracking as part of that regulation the cumulative additive synergistic effects of all of those uh, uh, non-native, non-organic uh, pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides in the soil, in the air, and in the water? Um, that's more of a toxicologist's work. And uh, here at the University of Lethbridge, we have a great uh, um, expert on uh, ecotoxicology, Dr. Hellis uh, Hantella. And that's part of her work. And uh, I do know she works with mixtures, looking at the impact of pesticide mixtures on, uh, for example, uh, fish health uh, and water quality in general. Um, so that she's, uh, she's definitely uh, doing that type of work. So, and uh, I think her, her results are quite interesting. Thank you. Good job. My name is Joseph Nissen. Uh, I just have a couple of comments. One, actually, you mentioned people all the time, but I, I, I'm wondering whether ecosystems come into your mind at all when you're dealing with issues like agriculture and so on. Like you're looking at the global picture as a people are in the raw part of the system. So I would really like you to put that back in your database. With, Think about the ecosystem. It's just a, just a comment from an old fellow like me. The other qu the question I have, uh, uh, the you're not the regulator. Canada Health is a regulator, right? That's right. So uh, uh, I'm on the past pest manager advisory council for Health Canada. So I just wanted to uh, get a feedback, and you may not want to answer this question, but maybe you'll point it. What what is your opinion of how Things are happening, and because I represent Alberta on the council, so I'd like you to give me a reaction from your perspective, and it's got to be an honest one. And I want to take it to Ottawa when I have a chance. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think best uh, farmers more and more, like at least you know, in in North America, our farmers they're they're better trained, they're better educated, and I think they've uh, we've improved the technologies. And we have the knowledge base to, to do better and, and smarter pest control in the future. And uh, we've improved quite a bit from, from the past, I do believe. So I'm, I'm actually hopeful that we're, we're doing quite well. And uh, there is a lot of work to do still, but uh, technology, science, knowledge, they're all helping. Uh, there's huge, for example, developments in uh, sprayer technologies. Um, so you can think of like different types of nozzles, uh, no, nozzles have been lowered to the ground, and uh, that definitely helps uh, keeping <coughs> pesticides were on the target rather than going elsewhere. So there's major improvements made in that regard, I believe. Hi, I'm Bev Rippo-Tumperstone. Thank you very much for your talk. In particular, um, I thought the key was risk and benefit analysis. Uh, a few years ago, I was talking with Dr. Dan Johnson. We were talking about the arsenic in our water supply, and uh, he was mentioning exactly what you were, that in the 1930s, <clears throat> arsenic was used quite heavily, especially in the prairies right around, right around Lethbridge, to uh, um, deter the incredible grasshopper locust plague. So these, these chemicals stay in the land a long time, and 
That's my concern about the pesticides too. So um, I'm just wondering rather than risk benefit, if um, maybe what we're facing in the future is risk, risk, the risk of not having enough food versus the risk of dying from the pesticides that are being used on the land and end up in our water system to kill us. And uh, I wonder if we're not seeing the beginning of this with the, the reduced migration of the monarch butterflies being killed by Roundup and various other incursions into their territory. So could you could you tell us a little bit about the only hope I see on the horizon is that the the creatures will become resistant to the pesticides. And uh, you said that. 25 of the 25 modes of action, 22 modes were resistant. Was that to pesticides? Uh, herbicides only. Herbicides only. Um, could you tell us is um, uh, is Roundup, are creatures actually becoming more resistant to Roundup? And is the increased use of Roundup, um, is the potential there that animals will become more resistant to that as well. Um, I, I don't work with Roundup myself. I don't work with glyphosate. Um, Alberta, uh, Alberta Environment, Alberta Agriculture and uh, Resource Development, uh, they have uh, a huge um, five-year project where they're looking at pesticides in water. And uh, I believe uh, they have published already two reports. There's the third is on its way. And glyphosate uh, is was present, at least I believe last year, to 30% of the water samples. So glyphosate is present in the, in, in the environment. As to whether glyphosate uh, resistance is increasing, um, I think uh, Dr. Bob Blackshaw, the research center, is an expert on, on uh, resistance. And I, I do believe he works on glyphosate resistance, but uh, I don't have uh, that type of expertise. Thank you. My name is Matt Krishnu. Uh, thank you very much for an excellent presentation on the subject which obviously has drawn uh, a large crowd here today. I think uh, a lot of us today are interested in the toxins that uh, we're presented with in our atmosphere, in our water, and in our food. And pesticides, of course, is one of the one of the concerns. Um, my point is that we're living in an age of, uh, of global uh, information overload. Um, there's a great deal of information out there, and as you mentioned, uh, people are more educated nowadays. And I think we have an audience here that's, that's at that point of being well, well informed. But there is so much misinformation along with the information. Uh, the uh, companies that produce these, these uh, pesticides and, and other toxins in our system have their own scientists proving how good their products are. And uh, I think people have a great deal of difficulties in sorting out the, that particular amount of information. Um, do you uh, have any idea of how we might proceed in the future to, pre to prevent corporations from doing false research in order to support their product? <laughs> um, I think if you look at uh, internet, uh, it's it's sometimes.
sometimes really difficult actually to know what's what's true and what's not true. Uh, and I maybe sometimes there is no truth. I'm not sure about that. But um, no, I can't really comment on that. I can't really say. I don't have. Uh, I don't work with the industry. Um, I I hope they're doing their best, <laughs> and so are we. But. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not aware of any cases, for example, where the industry would have uh, lied to people for, for selling their products. This I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of, so I can't really uh, discuss that. My name is Mark Gettle. Claudia, you've been asked some very, very difficult questions. <laughs> very difficult to answer. So I'm going to ask you something quite easy. Hopefully, very easy <laughs> for you to see. answer. Let's <laughs> see. I know Mark. <laughs> well, you're a scientist at the forefront of uh, developing methods for detection of uh, pesticide residues. And I think it'd be very interesting for us to know exactly what those new methods are, because they're very innovative, you're at the forefront. Could you tell us what methods have you developed and are developing to monitor pesticides in the environment? Wow, it was, it, it is an easy question. <laughs> it's always uh, easier to talk about what we do, right? Um, so basically, yeah, I am a research scientist and trace residue analyst in trace residue analysis of many pesticides. I also do livestock antibiotics and uh, estrogens. And um, my lab is basically has two, uh, as a, two sites. Uh, one site I use conventional chemistry, so gas chromatography, mass spectrometry, uh, that's mainly for pesticides. And on the other side, uh, we do antibody-based methods. So ELISA or enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay. So we're developing our own antibodies and we're developing uh, detection kits that can be used as screens prior to using uh, conventional chemistry such as uh, gas chromatography or liquid chromatography. So on the uh, conventional chemistry side, uh, we're using gas chromatography to quantify pesticides and uh, all kinds of water matrices. On uh, the uh, antibody engineering immunochemistry side, uh, we're developing um, detection kits mainly for um, livestock antibiotics, uh, we work with fungi, we work with bacteria, we work with um, estrogens. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is what my, my lab is, is doing. We're a lab of seven people and uh, two wonderful technicians, Denise and Tara, and I have uh, great graduate students as well. Sorry, further to that question because I had something similar in mind. Um, I think this, the, the, the public is learning that we have a specialist in a specific field here. And that's what's so frustrating for the public. You know, you say, well, but that's not my area of expertise. I'm in this area and I fully understand how complicated your world is. Never mind what it all means. Uh, so this is where the frustration comes in. But I still would like to, along those lines, maybe ask the type of work you do Dr. Shady, how does it relate to regulation at the national level? Um, at this point in time, there's no, uh, I, I, I don't, uh, my work does not uh, fit with the regulation. So I don't do, I don't interact to, with Ottawa, Ottawa, for example, to uh, discuss about uh, pesticides in the environment. So I don't really have the, that relationship with the regulation. 
My name is Terry Shellington. Thank you very much for your presentation. It's very thoughtful. And I don't know whether my question is inside or outside your expertise, but I, I'm sure you'll make up something. Um, I recently had a conversation with a furious farmer, uh, which provoked this question. Um, there is a discussion going on around bees and the demise of bees. And, and it's being related in some quarters to uh, pesticide or herbicide that farmers are using. And our church has come out advocating a ban of that uh, particular chemical. And uh, he, he thought the church ought to jump off the cliff uh, quickly. Um, can, can you, uh, but my question is about the bees, really. And do you have any information about how the, what we know about the rapid die off of bees and its relationship with, with chemicals and uh, herbicides and pesticides? Wow, that's another question that I can't really answer. But, um... Uh, simply because I don't work with uh, neonicotinoids. Uh, to detect neonicotinoids, you do uh, you need a liquid chromatograph uh, tandem mass spec. It's an instrument I do not have in my lab. I, I wish. It's uh, $400,000 or so. Um, but uh, right now, we are considering uh, working with collaborators from Saskatoon uh, to do some work on neonicotinoids. So right now, I'm not doing that type of work. Uh, there's a really good scientist, I believe she's with Environment Canada, and her name is Christy Morrissey. And uh, she was actually on the news, uh, I think it's in October or November, and that's exactly what she does. She's looking at the impact of neonicotinoids on bees, and uh, bee colonies, and other pollinators like uh, bumblebees. So I think uh, there's really good information being uh, generated in their lab. My name is Frank Toth. Uh, your speech is very, very timely with the uh, war going on against the striking industry. But I was, uh, you alluded on your last last question that you do testing on uh, on all chemicals. Now, what what to prevent? You know, our life for the drinking water that that you showed the high content of of, of poisons in the water. Uh, what is the best filter me mechanism to, to protect a person just from drinking water? Have you established some kind of filter that's going to get 100% of the chemicals out of the out of, out of the water? Could become a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I, I do agricultural work, so I don't work with drinking water. Um, however, um, in terms of agricultural uh, use of pesticides, I'm currently working on a project on uh, biobeds. So what we're trying to do is uh, make it easy for farmers to uh, discard their uh, pesticide leftovers uh, from their tank. So we're uh, trying, we're hoping to build um, those biobeds made of straw and organic matter, and uh, that would basically the the tank would be emptied on top of these biobeds. And it would be an on-farm biobed, and that would uh, the pesticide mixture would trickle through, and hopefully the uh, water at the end of this process would be fairly clean. So there would be degradation of the pesticide in those biobeds. Well, actually, the the project is the they're right now part of uh, the project is in Saskatchewan, and they're looking at building 21 of these biobeds, uh, all on private farms. And they're using straw and all the material to build the biobeds are from these individual farms. So 
So it has to be local, it has to be feasible, and it has to be economical. Time for last question. Yeah. Could you again? Claudia, I'm wondering about systemic pesticides as opposed to spray-on and uh, GMO is also feeding uh, pesticide resistance into the crop and stuff like that. Is, can you comment on that? What's your question exactly? Uh, the systemic pesticide versus spray-on pesticides. What environmental impact of either is bad, but which is worse? <laughs> well, uh, someone was asking me, uh, uh, I think it was one of the journalists asking me about what's, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's bad and what's good. And I always say, for me, I'm a trace residue analyst. I never look at pesticides as being good or bad. I look at them as molecules, structures. And I try to understand, well, based on that structure, where are they going to go in the environment? And can I prevent that from happening? I also look at them in terms of analytical uh, capabilities. So based on that structure, what do I have to do to be able to quantify them? So I, I you know, I, I don't really, uh, I can't really comment on systemic versus uh, other kinds of pesticides in that regard. But um, really for me, pesticides are, are, are molecules. And uh, so I, that's what I work with on a daily basis. Well, if there are no further questions, I would like you to join me to thank Dr. Shady for her excellent summary of the subject and also to indicate her limitations in answering the question. I think that is very noble.